Okay, so uh, I'll do a quick like intro for us, and then we'll go from there. We got some questions, and and yeah, we'll just see how that rolls. It's it's not it's it's semi structured. It's just more of like a conversation where we just like ah, and then uh, after that, then we go to this kind of a thing, and you know, awesome. go with the flow. Matt um, Matt's like Joe Biden with the Secret Service telling him where to go, but he goes other ways. That's what Matt is. <laughs> like he has a he has a path he's supposed to follow, but he never follows it. I, I got the Google Doc right in front of me. We we're we're semi professional professional podcasters. Joe yeah, yeah. is bad about how long it takes him to get off of the Google sheet that he has in front of him. I'm gonna say even before the first question. I'm gonna give him three. Okay. Place your bets, everybody. <laughs> we'll see. Over unders two and a half, I think. <laughs> I'm taking the over. <laughs> Welcome to This Week in MTG with your host, Matt Olson, Danny Oakstead, and Big G. Hello and welcome, Magic Folk, to This Week at MTG, your aggregate news source for all things Magic the Gathering, but not for this episode. We're doing another one of our special interview episodes. And tonight, we have the amazing guest with us, Chris Martin of Chai Style Gaming on Twitter. How's it going, man? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate the invite. Th- thank you so much for agreeing to it. Uh, again, uh, my mind is blown every time. Uh, Danny can Danny can definitely attest to this. Whenever someone agrees to talk to us, I get excited because I just <laughs> like to talk. The Midwestern in me is just like, oh, here we go again. You know, we're just going to do the, well, and then the whole door conversation like multiple times. So everybody sit down and get ready for this. I think I having, being from Midwest, I totally resonate with all this. So have you been, happy to be here. Ha- have you been in Chicago all your life then or? Born raised, yep. Never, never left. I've traveled plenty, but I've like, never found myself outside of the city. So, very nice. Okay, so let's stay on track here to try and like make big <laughs> me get back on track. <laughs> I already lost a bet here. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that was not one of the first questions. Uh, Chris, exactly, so he said th- before. That's, that's what I said before the first question. You get yeah. on track. It turns out the under was in fact the right call. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Danny knows me a little too well sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it was not intentional. I promise you, it's not intentional. It never is. <laughs> okay, so Chris, uh, tell us who you are and uh, what you do right now. Uh, yeah, in, so in the magic space and stuff. Yeah, so in the magic, so I've been playing magic. I was telling you guys as we were kind of just riffing before the podcast. I I, um, I started playing in like ninety eight, ninety nine. I actually started like buying and collecting packs in 97 actually and that was like the first time i got a handful of packs one of my buddies that i one of my best friends best man at my wedding he got me into magic um just because we thought monsters were cool we were like 10 years old and we were like man these pictures on these cards are so cool we had no idea what we were doing with them and it was right before pokemon took off pokemon was like i think 99 and we were like Mm -hmm. we got magic right before that so uh, so I've been around a while. I started. I started actually going to like FNMs in. Uh, I think it was 2000 when Invasion Blocks started, and kind of just like the rest is history in terms of uh, my passion for the game. I've I've always loved playing it. I on my way into more of a finance content creation uh, 
space in the last, I don't know, five years, maybe it's maybe a little bit more than now, seven years. Uh, and that all started because as I got older, you know, I started amassing kind of a modest MTG collection in my like, teen years through high school. And then when I went off to college, I started having this like realization that magic cards are like actually worth money. And when you're a college student, beer or food, <laughs> those basic, basic, I noticed beer and then food. That's an intentional prioritization. <laughs> yes, yes. That's um, right. <laughs> uh, but like those things cost money and you, you get to college and like, crap, I don't, I don't, like, I need 20 bucks for a case of beer and a, a McDonald's, an order at McDonald's, for example. So n next thing I know, you know, I, I, I was looking for um, internships and jobs at, at periodic points in college. But one thing that, I kind of landed on was, hey, I can actually sell cards from my magic collection and literally like have beer money or gas money or whatever I needed. Um, and that actually evolved quickly because then I started realizing there was like a whole market out there at the time it was exclusively through either eBay or Craigslist, which is easy to think Craigslist is like, talk about a throwback mention, but um, you could go out on eBay or Craigslist and like even uh, garage sales too. And you'd find people just like selling collections of magic cards, right? And back then, it wasn't like a well-known thing that magic cards were super collectible. Like they really weren't super collectible. It hadn't kind of blown up like it has in the last handful of years. So like you could go out and you get like these collections of like literally thousands of magic cards for like a thousand bucks or even less than that, like 500 bucks, right? And um, and so long story short was I started buying card, but buying collections of cards and then piecing them out and selling them on eBay as singles, and that's kind of what that's like what kind of got me to where I am today. So now you know I'm probably best known in the community for particularly for just like tweeting out MTG finance type tips, like giving people heads up on cards that are going to go up in price, down in price. You know I try to keep it on, balanced on both sides. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where that origin. That's kind of where that story originates is selling cards in college. God damn, that is very intense. Uh, love the fact again, uh, beer prioritized and the McDonald's. <laughs> that is the true college meal of champions. A hundred percent. Right off the right off the. Uh, so I went to school in Springfield, Illinois, and right off the campus there was a McDonald's and a liquor store, literally side by side. And I, I swear, I mean, it's like obvious marketing. Like oh, yeah, I don't know who came first. McDonald, I don't know who, like it's chicken or the egg, right? Like who, which one was there first? You don't know. It doesn't matter because they just har har harmoniously like exactly what you needed. So my money's on the liquor store was there first. And they're like, how do we get people here more? I'm surprised. If, McDonald's. I'm let's surprised go. surprised a bar hasn't opened up on the other side of McDonald's. So you get there the was bar, bar, McDonald's, in liquor store, then your home. <laughs> Yeah, there was a bar in walking distance, but it wasn't like in the, this was like in like a little one of those like little strip mall type okay setups, and then the bar was like I don't know a mile down the road. So that's a long drunken, long drunken. But when you want McDonald's at two in the morning or whatever, that's that that's is going to happen. Let's fucking do it. Where there's a will, there's a drunken way. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to jump into some uh, more of the magic questions here in a second. Um, the next question we got here is like, so, so what do you do outside of magic? What makes Chris, Chris outside of the world of magic? Yeah. So I actually, it's in my Twitter profile. I call, I've been called the insure your collection guy, putting that in quotes. And what I mean by insure your collection is like actually buying insurance to protect your magic collection. And the reason I say that and why I've, I've written, I wrote an article about three or four years ago for, um, 
a company called Quiet Speculation, one of the content creation companies out there in the in the magic space. And it was a two-part article about insuring your collection. Unsurprisingly, the reason I know so much about insurance and how to insure your collection is because I work in the insurance industry. So I have been around um, basically residential property and then also auto insurance for pretty much my entire career since I came out of college. Uh, my mom actually sells insurance, so I, I, it's kind of in the bloodline, right? And um, I actually work specifically in technology, though. So I, I manage, um, I manage a team that's responsible for uh, technology sales. Basically, we we connect all of our insurance products to what the the insurance industry's equivalent of like an Expedia.com or Travelocity, that type of stuff. Uh, my responsibility is taking our insurance products, put them out onto those comparative pricing sites and then uh you know helping influence sales so that's that's my background so can you insure uh like a like a server for companies and stuff like technology wise is that a thing that's just a question that just popped in my head right now and stuff but um we are primarily i you probably could our our focus is actually insuring like homes like like homes from tornadoes or hurricanes or things like that okay okay um, and then, and then the application to like magic is basically magic doesn't magic cards because they're like a collectible trading card. They're they're or or not even trading card, but just that they're a collectible. Can't actually just buy like a homeowner's or like a renter's insurance policy mm-hmm. and just automatically have coverage for your um, for your magic cards. You'll you'll get burned on that, I guess, pun intended, if you're like house burned out or something, you will get burned hard on that because what will happen is the insurance company, when they come in, they like pay you out to fix your home. They'll give you like a, a very small prorated amount of money for your magic collection. So what I have done is I've like written an article talking about the specialty. There's like specialty companies out there that actually will ensure your magic cards like in full. So if something happened to them, they got stolen or they got you know, burned up in a fire or whatever, you can actually get a full payout as long as you had the cards well documented. Very interesting. I will make sure to find those articles and make sure to link them down below because I am very intrigued about that. So Chris, yeah. here's actually a question I have for you because I'm actually in the process of recategorizing or cataloging all my stuff. Would yeah. something like MTG Goldfish work as far as a good running document for that? Absolutely, yeah. So Goldfish, Architect, Moxfield, any of those type of companies, they all will suffice. Um, you know, the, basically the key is whether you have a way that you can export it out of their systems. And I think all of those, Goldfish included, have like a CSV export. So as long as you can get it into Microsoft Excel and be able to in the event that you either had like a you know a fire or something, or even like if you have a really sizable collection, um, the Excel document that you would extract can you can hand it off to these companies that insure edge cards, and they'll use that as like an itemization to just to help kind of know how many cards you have to insure. So do they do they insure you per card, or is it like like per card like bulk wise, or per card individually? So it's like it doesn't matter if you have a hundred Visser Sears they're insuring a hundred cards or is it like they're going to be looking at this one's a Visser Seer, this one's a Noxious School, et cetera, et cetera. And they have like different prices. Yeah. Great question. So they, so the, um, the, I keep saying they, there's a couple different companies that insure edge of cards. The one that I know best, and I'm not like sponsored by them or anything, but it's collect insure. That's who I actually insure my 
collection with personally, they insure you by dollar amount. So basically how it works is, let's say you have a collection that if you put it into Goldfish, it's worth, I don't know, let's, we'll make up a number. Say it's like $10,000, which is probably realistic for a lot of players out there. They will, they will basically say, okay, your collection's worth $10,000. And if you were to lose your whole collection in a fire, it would, they would probably do some, you know, verification, make sure it's not fraud and things like that. But assuming you pass all their checks, they're going to pay you out $10,000 for your collection. Um, in terms of your question of like 100 Viscerous Years or like 50 Viscerous Years and 50 Noxer Schools, they don't care about that necessarily. The only time okay. it comes into play is for like a Black Lotus or, you know, some of those like really high, like basically like Power Nines, basically anything that's more. The money worth. cards. Exactly. I don't know what the exact cutoff is. There's, it might be, I actually don't know off the top of my head, but there's, they, they have like a cutoff for like if the card is worth more than X dollars. They want you to itemize those cards. So, like, if you had a black lotus, you would itemize it. For example, oh, yeah, for sure. You got a black lotus. That shit better be in a triple lock safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I imagine that um, graded cards probably fall close to that kind of a category, then, right? Definitely. Because, um, yes. Then you got like PSA, uh, uh, Beckett's, and uh, CGC and stuff like that, like where it's like officially officialized. Like this is the exact kind of card. Uh, graded at like 9.5 and it's like uh market value of like a thousand bucks exactly. and stuff in there that's like, exactly right okay yep that's that's exactly right so you anything that's at that level again it's it is based on dollar amounts so like if you had a thousand dollar card i don't think they will itemize those necessarily they won't necessarily ask you for an itemization of those they would want to see it in like the excel you know like uh, to the question earlier about mtg goldfish or whatever they would still want to see the card represented in your collection but they're not going to itemize it to the same extent that they would like a to your point like a nine five time twister making that up like that's going to be like a 60 grand card for example yeah they're going to want that itemized for sure and they will to your point they'll ask you like is it a beckett nine five what are the what are the subgrades on it that type of detail would be really important to them if the slab lasts or makes it through the fire, that should definitely be like a, a marketing point for whatever company slabbed it. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So. For sure. Yeah. I have a, I don't want to tangent too much. I have a, a pseudo heartbreaking story about slabs that did not stand the test of time. I fell actually Ooh. carrying a nine five gem mint beta taiga. I fell going up the stairs, which is just super embarrassing to say, but I like, I like trip. I like just, it was just like one of those awkward things where like, I didn't lift my leg high enough because I was carrying a ton of cards and I tripped face forward and literally landed my elbow on the nine, five Taiga, which cracked the case and turned it into like probably a six. Um, it was brutal. It was, so it was just a, yeah. So anyway, that was, that was rough, but, um, but no, the cases, I, I actually, I think the cases should survive fires all unless they're like you know unless it's like a complete burn down they should be able to survive the smoke damage and stuff like that okay well uh for as as for questions that are side magic related it was very magic related but i am perfectly fine with that get to learn about <laughs> insuring magic cards yeah i got a pretty large collection and it's something that i've thought about as well so i'm definitely I, I, looking for i highly that. recommend it if you my advice would be if you have a collection worth $10,000 or more, and I'm saying that based on like Architect or, you know, Goldfish, whatever, whatever you're using to track that. If you think it's worth $10,000 or more, definitely go get some insurance. It's worth, it's worth the, 
know, they start around, it's just like having a renter's policy for anyone that's got a renter's insurance policy. Uh, Cost-wise, they're very comparable. In fact, I think collectibles insurance is actually a little cheaper. So you're looking at like maybe two to $400 a, a year uh, for, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in coverage for things that are typically pretty irreplaceable too, right? I mean, all, I think all of us would say that we've got at least a handful of cards in our collection that it's like, gosh, if if that got burned up or stolen or something, it would be crushing. So, oh, for sure, for sure. If I lost any cards in my uh, my Kenrith Nekusar deck, I would, I would definitely be sad. Yeah, they're all going in the garbage. <laughs> Danny, doesn't, <laughs> Danny doesn't like playing against that deck. Quick, get it insured so that way, if he actually follows through, you have <laughs> you have a policy to cover you. Just insure you your deck. Okay, so uh, kind of jumping back into the magic that we never left there. Um, we got some the typical like get to know you and your magic play style here before we get into more uh the the topic specific of like you and finance here next so what what color of magic do you vibe with the most okay that's a gosh it's such a hard answer for me mono red is probably going to be there we go there we go you've made best friends with danny now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I have a tour brand deck. It's probably my second or third favorite deck. I, I was a burn player as a kid too. Well, I was a counter burn player for a while. In, in Invasion, there was like a was a um, a deck in that like standard meta that was like a counter burn deck based around Urza's Rage and Skizik, which are some just like total throwback cards that people might not even know what those cards do. But um, it was back in the days where like counter spell was a standard legal card and um yeah, I, st- I actually still fun enough i still have that that deck from from way back when it's still sleeved up in original sleeves and everything so gotta keep that there together the yep. the, the, the first deck i have i have a deck uh sleeved up still my first infect deck that i made but it got damaged uh because water was accidentally spilled on it and oh, I haven't I haven't got rid of the cards because I'm like this is my first infect deck. There are four Blightsteel Colossus, four Inkmoth Nexus, four Phyrexian Crusaders in this oh, deck, man. and I was like yes. And this is when I started in 2000, uh, 2012, and I was so sad at that. So I couldn't just take myself to like get rid of them. It's like I still keep yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, well, I get it. I I mean the deck that I'm referencing is twenty. 20- it's 22 years old because I built it in 2000, I think, give or take a year. But um, it, it's not damaged from anything like water, but it's just damaged because it's old as hell. <laughs> <laughs> just, all just, the all the cards are probably just, moderately played at this point. Yeah, exactly. It is technically vintage. It, yeah. Literally yeah. and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what is your favorite format to play and why is it Commander? oh man i commander's the best thing i i started playing so so just to like kind of continue my like progression through magic so like you know i started playing we just made up rules and we thought the pictures on these cards were cool and one of the first cards i ever pulled was gaia's cradle with one of my again this this my best man best friend one of the first three rares that we pulled was gaia's cradle and i'll never forget this that gaia's cradle and then we got like these two like what are equivalent of bulk rare monsters now and i was like oh this guy's cradle sucks throws it over the shoulder and like (laughs) i got this like phyrexian plague lord this four four this thing's so freaking cool and that so to tie that to your question of commander that is why commander is the best because cards like that's that that when you're a kid were completely like irrelevant to like the professional like high 
you know, whatever, like, I don't know, competitive magic scene, whatever you want to call it, they were like irrelevant. And in Commander, they are relevant. Like any card is relevant in Commander. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so much fun. Um, as long as you're willing to build at different power levels, you could build a deck out of all commons and have a great time with it. It's it's just a it's such a dynamic format and, and so much fun to play. Oh yeah. We are we are definitely uh, big commander players here as well. And we definitely love the fact that we get to play with all these like off the beaten path path cards that you hear from people that always go to EDH rec or listen to the command zone and stuff like that that are just like very entrenched to commander and it's like ah these are the these are the optimal ways to play cards and yet here 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 we are uh running cards like i one of my favorite cards is uh aetherlink from return to ravnica i love that card because it slaps and it survives <laughs> And it's like uh, it's hard to put that in like you know any what competitive deck, but it it fits pretty well in in, in a commander deck. For sure, like for sure, yeah. I do love that. <clears throat> now this is a little uh, side note or side tangent here on commander, and like we were just recently talking about uh, like commander homogenization and stuff, and I know that that's a very big topic right now in uh, the online EDH space and stuff. And I was wondering, do you have any comments on? the current commander homogenization topics that have been coming yeah. up. I, I mean, it's definitely happening. I, I have talked about it a few times once on our you know podcast that we do conviction gaming. And then also um, actually the last, it's funny because I said that I've only been interviewed a handful of times ever. And the last time I was interviewed was on a podcast called Epic Experiment, Bruce Gray. And we did talk a little bit about it. It's, it's, it just kind of sucks. Like, I mean, it's, I, I think it's just the, the, byproduct of watsi taking commander and kind of squeezing out all the money out of it right like they're they're printing cards constantly that are just even like stuff that's printed into modern horizons 2 or like standard sets and it's just clearly a commander card right like they're like you didn't need to put that into a standard set like it's never going to see play in standard you know just admit that they 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 know commander is where the money is being made and so it's unfortunate because I think what's happening is we're with every set that comes out, we're forced as players to have one or two cards that come out in those sets. That's like you have to mentally you don't have to, but like mentally the the way that the community is kind of driving it with all the content creation and stuff, it's like like Bosiju, the the new land, right? Like it's like everybody feels like they have to have a copy of that card because it's one of the best cards ever printed. And you know, if you keep getting best card ever printed every set, it's it it turns your 100 card deck into like a 40 card deck because the other 60 slots are all taken up already. It, it, I was thinking to myself recently about um I don't know why I got on this. Like I'm not a fashion person at all, but like magic uh, commander sometimes gives you like this, this trend of the season magic wise. Like uh, you're always going to be doing uh, the next big thing. Like when doc, I mean, doc side extortionist is like sticking around for, for a long time, but you have this new, like uh, unwinding clock for creatures. The, uh, the two, one, three mana. Oh God, I can't remember his name, but like it feels like the, 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 the clothing trends, for magic is what people like love the bandwagon. And that's one of the things I feel makes like the, the, the fashion industry. It's a really bad analogy that I was just <laughs> thinking to myself clearly, and I'm trying my best to describe it. Side but tangent it, on it, a side tangent. It made sense in my head <laughs> and I'm doing a horrible job expressing it right now. I was thinking it's, about it. it's like the ice cream shop where you have the flavor of the day. That's like the way I think of it too. It's yep. very similar. Okay, back, that's back. what, that's why you just build a new commander deck. You don't, you just don't make, or, upgrade your last one you just make a new one I that, do like that's that. how you make like 
eight or nine in your bag. Yeah, but then you're going to be falling into the same thing of where it's like, oh, well, now I need to get that soul ring. Now I need to get that Archmage's first, charm. First of all, soul ring yeah. should just be in your commander anyway. <laughs> no, no. I got I got a few of my decks, actually, where I refuse. Well, you're a blue player, so screw no, you. My Abzan deck does not have a soul ring in it, and nor does my... Uh, my, my but I'm sure it has every signet and every other mana rock possible. It does not. Liar. Yeah, I, I'm not. It's my, uh, <clears throat> you know, it. it's my uh, Kamal, fi- uh, not Fist of Krosa, Heart of, Heart of Krosa, the, the partner it's, one. It's blue. I don't Rabbis. care. It's, it's Tabzan. Dan, I don't Dan, care. Dan, I don't Dan. care. You're a blue player. I don't care. <laughs> okay. So back on some <laughs> more magic tracks here. Do you have a pet card or a favorite card? I do. Uh, Cyan of the Ur Dragon. So... I okay. So when I started playing in Invasion, really started playing. Like I start, I actually learned the game, the rules, and everything. One of the things about the Invasion block was they had the Elder Dragons. There was Derigus, Corrosis, so on and so forth. And I pulled a foil with the Awakener in one of those like you know Invasion packs during those days. And I was like, gosh, I freaking love dragons. Like I was like a 13 year old kid i'm like dragons are like the freaking coolest thing ever yep. right so so suddenly i am now a dragon collector and then fast forward into i'm gonna guess it was 2006 when time spiral was printed that that's a total guess could be 27 2007 or something like that but whatever it came out and one of the pack covers was sign of the earth dragon so like if you got a time spiral pack there was like jaya was one of the characters on it and then sign of the earth dragon was another one and at that point, I was like a little bit like I had kind of grown out of the, the just like obsession with dragons a little. I was like probably 19 years old at that point. But they printed it and I was like, uh, that's pretty cool. Like, like this thing's pulling me back in. And and one of my buddies, uh, different buddy, but same group of friends that got me into magic. He pulled a, a, a scion of the Ur dragon, not foil, but just pulled one. And uh, I was with him when he did. He was like, hey, Chris, like, you still collect dragons, right? Like, do you, I, I wasn't even really playing Magic that much. I was into, like, the phase of selling cards in college at that point. And he's like, well, you still have your dragon collection, right? I was like, I, I do. It's I have a binder of just dragons. He's like, well, here, just take this. And, of course, like, one thing that led to the next. And it became, fun fact, it became my first commander deck. So about a year later, it turned it into a 60-card dragon tribal singleton deck, which quickly evolved about four years later, not even maybe, into my first 100-card EDH deck. So so every time a new set comes out, how excited are you to see some of the new dragons that they're going to be printed? Like with oh, it's fun. Adventures Sorry, the I didn't Forgotten Realm. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. Uh, go on from there because it was just going to be like Adventures in the Forgotten Realm has some solid dragons and stuff I, in there. Yeah, I'm like fully re-immersed. In, like I... Yeah, so like I went through that little phase. I think it was because I was in high school and magic wasn't like the cool thing, right? So I like didn't, I kind of like was like a closet magic player at the time. <laughs> and then like I was like, you know what? Screw this. Like, I don't care if I like if people judge me because I play magic, like whatever. I play magic. And I've, I've just fully embraced, you know, the, like in my early 20s when I was selling cards in college, I was like fully embraced the fact that. Like, yeah, I fucking love dragons, part of my French, right? Like, they're awesome. So to your point or to your question, the last 18 months has just been like a constant, like, here's my wallet, Watsy. I need all <laughs> these like borderless foils. I got to have like one of all these different dragons that you keep printing, Old Gnawbone and Belladros. I mean, they've just been, they've been printing awesome, awesome dragons. My Scion deck, I still have it to this day, by the way. 
very upgraded deck. It's got like like unlimited dual lands and stuff. These are all cards that I bought like 15 years ago. And it's just crazy to look at all the prices on them now. But I, I continue to update it with new dragons periodically. And the last like, you know, the last five sets or so, maybe it's like a little bit more than the last seven sets, there's been at least one card in every single set that I've had to put into Scion, which is unusual because I haven't I haven't had to do that in a while. So um yeah, to answer your question, I it's been it's been it's been a lot of fun for me. <laughs> I've I've been definitely loving these these dragons as well that we've seen the uh, the the Strixhaven dragons those were a really cool cool yes. set of dragons I thought I actually have a Velamachus deck I built a Velamachus dragons approach deck and it is a very very fun deck oh imagine that thing just slaps it, Dra- dragons approach it, is a bonkers card <laughs> it yeah it has um it has thrumming stone in it which is its primary win con and there have been t- there was actually one time where I was at one life and they passed. It was one of those scenarios where it was like, which person are you going to take out and like, you know, pass it to the other person and see if they have an answer. So this one person had just a huge board state, chose to knock the other player out and put me with one life, couldn't finish me off. And I ended up thrumming stone into like, I don't know, like it was like 19, maybe not 19. It was like 12 dragons approach and just hit them for 36 damage and one. God, it was awesome. Damn. Yeah, it was fun. So uh, keeping in the realm of like brewing decks, that's one of the next question is here is uh, when it comes to you get the the, the scratch, it's like ah time to time to brew a deck. Yep. Uh, is there like colors, tribes, a certain like uh, card that you try to build around when you like if if there's like a new card, like what is the mind of Chris when he gets into the 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 magic brewing mood? Yeah, um, there's two definite themes. I love tribal love dragons made those both clear so i actually have i probably have about 10 decks 12 decks something like that and i would say about half of them have a dragon at the helm or i also have a mono red zerillin deck zerillin is like a old reserveless card that can tutor up dragons and then you at the end of turn you exile them so i have like four or five decks with either a dragon at the helm or tribal dragons i've got two tribal dragon decks um the other theme, like the other brewing theme that I often will follow is I love trying to find like unique applications of like, well, better way to say this is I love trying to find ways to kind of break the color pie. So like Velamachus Dragon's Approach deck is a good example where it's like actually technically a storm deck, but it's in it's in Boros aggro colors. So it comes off when you start playing it. It's like it feels like it's an aggro deck initially and you're you're kind of like if I just imagine if you're playing against it the way you would play it is like okay this is a aggro deck I got to kind of stop Velamachus, I got to stop these attacks. And then what actually is happening is like behind the scenes there's this whole little combo that's being played out and and um you know so I guess it's just it's I like to try to break the color pie if I'm not being super creative with breaking the color pie, then I tend to look for like cool dragons and build around those. Is there is there a favorite combo uh, uh, that you have all throughout Magic? Like any combo, is there one that's just okay. like you you stick to the most, or not um, stick to just appreciate? Yeah, most used combo is probably going to be the World Gorger Dragon Animate Dead combo because it's a win con in my Scion deck. I've actually taken that out numerous times over the years because it there was a there was a stretch where Scion the Ear Dragon was like one of the best CEDH. It was kind of even before CEDH was like a, a prominent like mainstream concept, but Scion was one of the most powerful uh, commanders 
in like the early 2010, 2013, somewhere in that time frame. And it was largely because you could, there was two combos. You had Niv-Mizzet and Curiosity. So you could turn your Scion into Niv-Mizzet, slap the Curiosity on, just win on the spot. Or you had the World Gorger Animate Dead combo as well. Um, I wouldn't say those are like my favorite combos. Those are the ones I've most used. I think my favorite combo currently is the one I was just talking about. It's the Thrumming Stone Dragons approach because it's not... It's not like a win on the spot combo. It relies on a lot of RNG, right? Like you have to be able to flip with Thumbing Stone. You've got to be able to flip the Dragon's Approach every four cards. So it's like kind of, it was really fun to balance the number of Dragon's Approaches in the deck and figure out like what's the optimal number to like make sure that when you get Thrumming Stone and you hit it, you're able to keep the, keep the Dragon's Approach chain going so that you can win. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my answer. I don't play CEH by, by the way. So that might be, just you know, as an alternative con- uh, answer, is I don't really play any of like the mainstream combos like Dockside Reanimator or um, you know Demonic Consultation, th- Threat uh, Oracle, and stuff like that. Okay, well that kind of answers my next question. My next question was going to be: It's like, do you uh, like how much do you like pay or sen- pay attention to like uh, percentages of cards? Like getting the the right balance of like uh leveling like leveling off like i need this amount of this this amount of this to make for the 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 solid deck i i'm pretty lax on that i i will say back to your question about like my brewing approach i don't use edh rec or um really any like i i guess that's the de facto spot but i don't really use like search engines when i start brewing decks i typically do it based on my own kind of just memory and what i've got in my collection and stuff um, so like to your question about like a call like optimizing you know percentages of like I don't I don't prescribe to the idea that you have to have uh, six board wipes and ten ramp cards and like the, I don't I don't I don't do any of that I've I've never done that um, I've got some decks that you were just saying this like that don't have soul ring I've got some decks that actually don't have a single mana rock in them at all and uh, and I've got other decks that ramp really aggressively right like there's I just kind of have smattering of things whatever so that whenever i play i can kind of like balance to the power level pretty effectively so i think i can get with my scion deck i could probably play up to like fringe cedh i'm guessing so like maybe like a power eight if that's like a it's totally subjective what that means right but like right right mentally that's i think where that's my best deck i have a gitrog monster deck that's pretty good too and then everything from there it's like very casual so I, I did want to say, uh, I remember when I first started playing Commander uh, at around 2013, I was getting smacked around by Sign of the Ur Dragon, and Sign of the Ur Dragon was definitely one of those decks. I saw that down, and I'm like, my decks can't compete. It, it felt on the level uh, at that time, it was like Sign of the Ur Dragon, uh, Sliver Queen, and uh, Carador, uh, Ghost Chieftain. Yep. Those ones just like, they slapped all the time. I could never, like, I couldn't do anything against those. So yes, Scion. Like early on, I knew Scion was like a powerhouse card. Ooh, I guess this makes me think uh, the Ur Dragon itself. What's what are your thoughts on the Ur Dragon itself? Then, I I mean, I obviously love it. I um, <laughs> I have I, the secret layer art that uh, it's by Justine Jones. It's it. So if you have a question, I can answer it right now. If you have a question, what's the favorite art on a Magic card? Justine Jones secret layer Ur Dragon hands down. It's my favorite frankly not even close second um and i actually fun fact is like i really really want to commission a scion of the ur dragon altar 
for her from her that would be comparable art you know style to the ur dragon that she did i i haven't done it yet because i keep like holding out that she's that they're just going to do like a secret layer with scion in it but <laughs> one of these days i'm going to break and i'm just going to reach out to her and hope for the best that would be legit that would be a legit alter to to get done yeah i i yeah, one of these days, my my co-host, or the co-host of my podcast, one of my really good friends, Jesus Garcia, he is really into altars and like um, just kind of specialization. Like he he likes, he's all about like customizing his deck. So like he likes to have some foreign language, some altars, whatever, you know, uh, just uniqueness. And he keeps, he's the one that keeps pushing me on that idea. It, it's really his idea for, for the record. Um, and I think it's just a fantastic one. So one of these days I probably will, Try and see if I can hit up Justine Jones and hopefully get, get that created. I definitely appreciated your guys' interview that you did with uh, Gem Creator. Uh, oh, yeah. And, yep. and a couple weeks ago, it was like three weeks ago now? Yeah, yeah, three weeks probably from the time of this recording. We interviewed Gem. Uh, it was Brandon from Gem Accessories. He's there the CEO of this um, of this little... Uh, it's little like... It's not even really little anymore. They've grown a ton, but they're, they're like a custom... Uh, deck box slash accessories company. They they sell backpacks and binders and all that type of stuff. They're they're primarily rivaled against like Ultra Pro and um, uh, what's the other one? Like Dragon Shield and stuff. They have you know comparable products to theirs. Uh, but yeah, the, it was a really fun episode. He he does they do great stuff over there. I definitely encourage you if you're interested in like the we call it bling like if if you're interested in kind of blinging out your collection or even like specific decks um, and you want to do so beyond just the cards themselves gem accessories is a great place to look yeah i got them uh saved in uh, uh my browser so that way i can go there and because i was looking at it from the from the episode when it dropped and i'm like ooh, they got some good stuff here yeah yeah they actually are i think it just ended yesterday they were doing the pre-order we covered it on our podcast it was a pokemon the three legendary art uh uh legendary birds from pokemon articuno and moltres and zapdos they did a deck box it's got all three of them kind of side by side and so when you fold individually fold them up it's just one of the birds but if you fold the whole deck box up it's the whole art of all three and it's just it's super sick looking it does look good so good Looking at it right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, one last like magic focused question, and uh, that is planeswalker. Do you have a favorite one or a least favorite planeswalker? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I'm gonna say favorite is probably Ugin. I, I think just love the storyline. I really like the Bolas Ugin storyline. Um, and it was Corset 2019. They like the the actual MTG story that they do, or they they actually just brought it back recently, like the lore. But Corset 2019, if you're really interested in the background of like the Elder Dragons and Nico Bolas, and it's really actually the Ur Dragon too. That that's a really cool storyline. So yeah, I would say Ugin or Bolas, just both of them together. Um, least favorite? I don't. I don't really have a least favorite necessarily. I, I, none jumps out to me. Maybe Oko because it was so oppressive. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Everybody will accept. Will always accept Oko as everyone's least fav- favorite Planeswalker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm such a hypocrite because I definitely own a copy of Oko, but oh well. it doesn't it doesn't change anything. You can own Oko while still hating Oko. Like yeah, uh, the only reason I own Oko is because I hated playing against it so much, and it was that, it was that spite. I'm gonna build the shit out of something with Oko, <laughs> and I'm gonna fuck that's everyone exact else. Exact reason I have it. Yep, exactly the same reason I have one. It's like I'm sick of people turning my stuff into elk, so I'm gonna do it back to them. What what are the chances? Like how ballsy does Watsy have to be if for them to do a Oko secret lair or something that like, are we going to get like an Oko highlight? Are people going to have uh, like, if he gets introduced into a, a, a future just uh, premiere set, like, is there going to be Oko backlash, like abuser syndrome or whatever, or like <laughs> stuff? It's like, ah, Oko. Like, I just, I think it'd be hilarious it? if they reprinted Oko, but made the minus, made the plus one, a minus one, the elk, me the turning it into a minus one for the elk because it would have fixed the card like the card would be it would still be one of the best planeswalkers of all time but it wouldn't have been broken to the point where it needed to be banned in every single format and it's funny with when they released alchemy i was like oh well maybe they could go back and fix oko in real life too like just go ahead and reprint it change it from a plus to a minus sign and we can start using oko again in certain formats so yeah, poor I don't Oko. know that Watsy's going to do what you said, though. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, actually, I could probably I could see them doing it just just oh. for the money. A secret lair yeah. would be the closest, in my opinion, of what they could probably do, and it'd have to be something like a, a an April Fool's one, like what they did with the Star Macro and Square. Oh yeah, like that would be the closest thing in my head that I think that they that it could be like acceptable without having a big uh, negative <laughs> response from everybody. They they may call it. Oh, go ahead. Just say you could call it Oko Oko Fools. <laughs> it's like Oko's Fools Day. Oh, yes, I'm in the secret layer of four different alt arts for Oko. Right, but they but they definitely should change it to a minus one, and then just like a rat of the card. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, don't give him a static ability. <laughs> Do not give him a static ability. No, no, please don't. Okay, so now let's jump more into uh, the 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 finance side of things here. Let's dig on down. So you have been doing finance, you said, on uh, Twitter, specifically posting your content for the last five, seven years? Yeah, I joined Twitter in December 2017, I believe. I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. Yeah, December 2017. Um, I, I shouldn't say I joined Twitter. That's a bad way to put that. I actually created a my Shy Style Gaming handle in December 2017, and I made a decision at that point that I was going to like formalize my finance content and my kind of storefront, right? So like I sell a lot of magic cards now and I made this just like, it was like a business decision where I was like, you know what? I want to really turn this into something like real and tangible, have a logo, have a name, a brand, whatever. Like it's obviously more for me than anything else, but uh, it, it was really fun. Like ever since I did that, it's, I basically separated all my magic content from my personal Twitter. I don't even really use Twitter for anything other than magic now. And, and, yeah, it's uh, I, I've been actually selling cards since I was in college. So, I mean, that started in 2000 and I'm going to say seven or 2008, somewhere in there. Um, I took a little bit of a layoff from that in after I graduated college and I got an actual job. I like didn't need to sell magic cards for money. So I kind of like shifted focus and was living in downtown Chicago and like focused on my job. And then around the time I met my wife in 20 met her in 2014 september 2014 it was about the same time frame that i was starting to dabble with selling cards again return to ravnica and cons of tarkir had just come out and so i 
I, I, I had never lost pulse on magic. Like I've been, I've been keeping a prize of magic since 1999 or whatever. Um, and when I saw fetch lands get reprinted, it caught my attention. So I kind of started getting back into the sales side of things. Um, and then I started doing the content itself in 2017. So you, you post up a lot of great articles. You post up a lot of great stuff on Twitter. Uh, you talk about like buy, sell and holding. Um, is there a core idea that you have with this, like uh, differentiating between like buy a sell and a hold? Uh, and like, when you say hold, will there, will that make people buy more of that card to hold and stuff? Like, can can you extrapolate from that yeah. a little bit? For sure. Yeah. Um, it's a good question on the hold thing. I, I actually just kind of makes me think like I probably should clarify how, what I mean by buy, sell, hold, right? I, when I say hold, I'm really thinking of like a scenario where you've already bought the card that I'm talking about and telling you to hold on to it because I think it's going to go up in price or even be more valuable you know, six months from now, for example. The whole idea, I've been writing some articles, the buy, sell, hold articles uh, covering cards from 2021. I'll, I'll, it, that's going to be like an annual series where I'll do it again next year as well. Um, and the whole idea is is really just to share my way of thinking about cards as they become like, as they get further away from the year that they're printed. And more importantly, like two years out as they go out of print, right? Um, thinking about how they're going to mature in price and like just you know, are they going to, it's also popularity. There's an overlap between price and popularity, right? So like Dockside Extortionist is a great example of this. That card used to be like probably 20, maybe even less than $20. Now it's like $70 or $80 or something like that. And it's a, it's a combination of two things. One was that people didn't realize how good Dockside was when it was first printed. Everybody knew it was good. Nobody realized that it was going to be a format defining card though. Um, and then the second thing is it hasn't been reprinted. So like, if you held on to your Docksides that you got, you know, when the Commander set what was a 2019 came out, now you're looking at a card that's 4x the price and like you could trade it into a bunch of stuff, right? Like you could trade it into a whole bunch of different cards that you couldn't have afforded with it two years ago. So I don't know, it's, it, I use Docksides as an example because like I would have tried to get my content in front of people to let them know, hey, I think Docksides a really strong card. And because I think it's a really strong card, like don't don't sell extra copies. Keep these copies. These are going to be worth more now or more in six months than they are now in a meaningful way. Not like a dollar more, but like twenty dollars more, right? So that's my focal point. Really, is just you know summarizing that. I think my goal with my content is to help people either make money with magic or save money. And I think saving money is actually more important to emphasize because not a lot of people are actually going out and like selling cards at a regular on a regular basis i do do that i, I mean it's a side business for me um but my way of selling cards is more of like a vendor right like i'm taking buy lists and things of that nature if you're just a regular average player you know that that is holding a collection it is helpful to know in my opinion that this is why i write my content it's helpful to know what cards in your collection might be worth more in six months so that you don't get rid of them prematurely right that's that's all it comes down to yeah, the, the 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 buying and the the selling, the difference between it's just like the average magic player. Average magic player like what, 9 times out of 10, they're going to be buying the cards more. And if they're going to be selling, it's like, oh, well, this is like the standard hot card that I'm going to trade in and just like use that money again to buy more cards. Exactly. And the uh, and and like there's 
the focus on like those are the people that are going to be uh appreciating your content more i would imagine and, and stuff because you know they want they want to be savvy with their trades their 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 spending to help improve their commander deck to help improve a, a modern deck or what have it and stuff yeah, that's my. That's definitely who I hope I'm targeting properly. Um, I used to write content that was very like technical, like very um, finance centric, and it was almost it was very targeted specific to like collectors and people who wanted to make money off the game. I didn't really like that content after a while. I kind of lost my passion for that because there was. There was just something about it. And, you, you know, if you guys follow like the MTG finance hashtag on Twitter, for example, there's sort of like this negative connotation with it. I very rarely use it because I don't want that like negative association where it's like, oh, I'm manipulating card prices or something like that. Like that's not at all what I'm concerned with or not even concerned with, but like I'm trying to avoid that. Like I'm trying to tell you when somebody's manipulating the cards, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be like the guy that's like, hey, waving my arms, this is manipulation. Don't chase this. Don't buy this. It's going to come back down in price. Like I'm trying to help people avoid those scenarios. So yeah, anyway, that's that's my main goal is just really want to emphasize more like save people money and help them make the right decisions with their cards ultimately. I guess this next question I got for you could be like a, a whole podcast discussion in itself. But when you look at uh, magic cards and like the, the, the after the secondary market buying and selling of it and the, the, the easy comparison to like stocks and how they can like trade there, it's like, Oh, these cards are going to be moving up in price. And I know I'm not a big fan of like having that kind of association with cards to stocks and stuff. And I don't know if it's just like, because it's, stocks is just like a, it feels like a whole other thing but you you can't deny the fact that like magic cards and stocks do kind of like go down the same alley uh, of of what they do and i was more of like picking your brain on what you think of something like that like magic and stocks and how that it, it just affects the game in a, in, a, in a different way that i don't know it just feels grimy right or is that anything yeah. yeah no that's a, it, it does there's that's actually so I don't know what year this was. I'm going to say it was like 18 or 19. I had been writing my content for a company called Quiet Speculation. I mentioned them earlier. And my content was very specific towards like investors and collectors in Magic. It was not dedicated to helping the average player save money. It was much more like, hey, let's identify the right cards to make five bucks or 10 bucks or 500 bucks if you're going to buy 100 copies of said card, right? Like it was really much, much more aimed at Enders, I think is maybe a better way to phrase this was people who wanted to make money off of magic. So when you talk about socks and like the overlap with magic cards, there's, there's no question that they're similar. I mean, hell, there's a website called mtgstocks.com and it's like a super popular, well-known site in the community because it tells you the prices and gives you charts. And it looks like you're looking at E-Trade or, or like Schwab or one of those like investment brokerage companies, like their web pages are very similar. So yeah, there's a hundred percent an overlap. I think what is when I, when I've talked to people about like the the grimy side of MTG finance, the common theme is that the average player when they look at Magic, there's two. There's really two things. One is is that Magic is an expensive hobby, right? Magic is undeniably a very expensive hobby, yep. and so it's easy <laughs> it's easy for average players that you know just see the prices of cards and especially singles. 
even packs nowadays, everything you look at, it, it's like, gosh, why is this so expensive? Like, I just want to play a game and I can't even build a deck for less than $50 to play commander. By the way, that's a subjective statement, obviously. But like, I think a lot of people look at it and they're like, I don't have a hundred dollars to buy a nice deck. Like I've got 25 bucks and I want to build something. I can't keep up with people because $25 doesn't even get me one staple anymore, right? Like I can buy a third of a Dockside Extortionist for 25 bucks, right? Like, so it's easy to place blame on people who are speculating on magic or like concerned with the prices of magic. It's easy to kind of put, put blame on those people and say, hey, they're driving up prices, right? They're like, they're buying cards literally just to just resell at a higher price point. And there's a truth to that, certainly. I mean, there are some there is some truth to that where people are maliciously manipulating cards. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. It especially happens with reserve lists, right? We see that very often with reserve. It seems like every other year there's a there's a huge like run on reserve lists and then they come way back down again and then we do it all over again. And every year the price of a reserve list card goes up like, you know, five or ten percentage points over time. Because people just keep buying more copies of them and just manipulate the price. The 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 second point I was going to say about this is just that the the stocks correlation. You have to remember something, which is that because it's a trading card game, magic cards have utility, and because they have utility, there's an automatic application of supply and demand, right? Like if you have utility for something, it means that someone else might also have utility for that same thing. And so I'll just keep sticking with Dockside Extortionist. It's a $75 card because there's not enough copies in the world to satiate all the people who want a copy. If we if you price Dockside at $30 right now, there would be people that would buy 100 copies at that price point. They, they would drop all their money for it because they know it's not a $30 card. It's, it's, it's objectively, people will pay $30 in a snap of the fingers right now. So... It's tricky to explain that. And like you said, you could go on and on about this as a whole podcast episode. But the the summary is just supply and demand is a huge factor. And that's why magic cards feel like stocks sometimes is because supply and demand moves the needle on cards a lot. Like you'll see cards that'll jump 100% overnight because all of a sudden, you know, they maybe like a, a, a card wins a modern tournament or something, right? Like that happens all the time. So. So you were talking about like uh, people quickly buying up like thirty copy or uh, hundreds of copies of Dockside Extortionist for like thirty dollars and stuff. And uh, recently, I've definitely been hearing you talk about on your podcast is that you believe that people who talk about cards to a degree like that should be disclosing if they have investment in that card. Uh, can you go into more detail or like uh, yes. more on that? Yeah, that's, I appreciate you bringing that up. It's um, it's awesome. You, you guys really did your homework on on the preparation for this, which is awesome. He did. <laughs> I got um, <laughs> I, I'm I, well. No, I pre- I'm just kudos, huge kudos. No, the the whole concept of disclosing your like if you're if you're trying in any way to write content that's related to the price of a magic card. Okay, the moment you mention price of a magic card, you have now created what I would equate to some level of responsibility to that card and to the people who are going to read what you wrote. Mm-hmm. Because if you're saying a card is undervalued or underplayed or whatever, it's a totally subjective statement, right? Like there's no, 
there's no fact that you can say about any magic card that it's underplayed. Now you can, you could say this card's awesome. You can, you could show the synergies. Maybe, maybe you can reveal a synergy that people have never seen before. And you, you know, you get that unicorn moment that happens. But the reality of it is if you're talking about magic cards with price involved or, you know, insinuating something about price, you should be disclosing the copies that you own. Because otherwise, the way it reads to me, whenever I see that stuff on, I see it all the time on Twitter, it comes off as as somebody just trying to drive other people to buy copies of that card so that they can sell their copies and make a quick buck. Right? It's pump and dump. If you guys have ever seen Wolf on Wall Street, right? Like that's a great movie that talks about, just to correlate to stocks, by the way, like it talks about mm. pumping and dumping stocks and how in like the 70s you could do that, or 80s, sorry, you could do that super easily. It's it's the same concept with magic. It's, unrela- it's unregulated. So you can do whatever the hell you want. And I just, uh, bottom line is, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Like I, I'll, I'll die on this hill, but like <laughs> don't trust content where people are p- pumping the price of a magic card in any way if they're not also telling you that they own copies. Because otherwise, it just feels like there's conflict of interest. I know I've uh, been catching myself a couple times uh, is, since I heard you talking about that. Uh, in our contract currency section on the typical podcast, if I talk about a card that uh, it's like, oh, this is a cool card, I will be like, I have a, I have like two copies of this or I have no copies. Last week, we were talking about Hidetsugu Consumes All. It was moving up in price. And I'm like, now with the, the recent ban of Vluris, it's like this card can move up even more. I have no copies and stuff like that. So... I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's a yeah. That's, yeah. It it's good because you're you're then you're taking kind of that that grime that that by the way we we're talking about like the griminess of MTG finance. That is a big reason for it. Like the the reason you see or hear people say MTG finance is like a slimy part of the community is because things like this do happen where somebody will come out like hype up a card and then and then like it'll come out later that that person had 100 copies that they were sitting on it's like well what the hell like you were actually just you were just planning on profiting on this card the whole time right it's it's pump and dump so it doesn't the thing about pump and dump too is it doesn't have to happen a lot for it to make a really big impact because the moment it happens one time and gets exposed it ruins the whole idea of like speculation and magic finance and stuff like that it, it, it makes it feel like you can't trust anybody who talks about that stuff so one one thing that uh, relates to that in my mind was when pioneer became a format uh <laughs> you remember the whole uh death right sure sh- <laughs> the whole death yep. right shaman stuff so uh do you do you have any comments that you want to put on that uh, a quick reminder to any of our listeners pioneer was started a few years back and uh card prices uh, supply went low and stuff but then all of a sudden pioneers announced and like all these copies were coming out high price and stuff and they're like oh these are gonna be it seemed like people were like, these are going to be the cards that people want because Deathrite was banned in Legacy. It's clearly a good card and okay. stuff like that. So It was 100% with you know, 1,000% confidence and certainty. There was insider information and a leak that occurred there. And there were, quite frankly, in my opinion, bad actors who, you know, it's it's unregulated, right? Like MTG is an unregulated collectibles. Generally, are pretty much unregulated uh, financial vehicles, right? When people store money in these things, even like crypto and stuff, like all these things are very decentralized. And 
when I saw that happen, it was Deathrite Shaman. It was that Aetherworks Marvel was one of the cards that was like, it was like 70 cents. And all of a sudden overnight, it was $17. And then Pioneer got announced. And you're like, why? How did that happen? How did someone know to buy 400 copies of Aetherworks Marvel the day before Pioneer was announced? Like that can't be coincidence, right? So um, it, it's a great example. You know, I was saying like it doesn't, the pump and dump stuff, or insider information, those things don't have to, have to happen every month or to completely ruin the perception of MTG finance. All it takes is one time. And a lot of people will never forget that, right? Like I'll never forget that happened, uh, you know, and I, I granted, like I'm really close to this stuff. So like, of course I won't forget it, but like there are people out there who I don't care as much about finance who remember that happening because it was all the talk on Twitter and all the talk of the community. Like, how does this stuff happen? Anyway, yeah, I, I digress a little, but the point is, like, it sucked. When that happened, that sucked. Anytime there's leaks and insider info and stuff, it's. It, I think it's the worst part about magic, frankly. And, and it just happened with with Kamigawa. You know, there was a bunch of st- a bunch of cards were getting leaked ahead of time, and it sucks. I, I will say this, just in my or like, not to be a devil's advocate, hypocrite. I I follow leaks largely because. Uh, of the financial implications on that. And I never actually act on leaks. So whenever I see a leak come out, I will write content about it and I will notify people about said content. And usually that content is going to say, hey, if this leak is real, this card or these cards are going to be like, you need to have these, right? These are going to, you should buy it now because it's going to be worth 3X tomorrow, right? I will say that stuff. I might go out and get one copy for myself in most cases, but I'm not going to go out and use leaks to profit. And and I really wish that the finance community would embrace that and not be like scummy about leaks. Like go out and buy a copy if you want it for personal use, but don't take advantage of the fact that you got like an insider info and got a head start on buying whatever the new synergy is for the community. I got to see it. I think that's, that's the bottom line. I write my content largely so that people people who are comfortable seeing leaks can know what to expect. So when they wake up the next morning and some random card is on MTG stocks and it's gone up like 600%, they can understand, okay, there was a leak that caused that. So we're uh, magic being unregulated. This is the thought that's always been popping in my head, uh, especially recently. It's like, is this is it like a blessing or a curse? Because I feel like if magic got regulated the game would have to change differently. Like, I don't know, like you got, you got gambling laws that I would probably have to start like abiding by at that point. And to like keep magic, what magic is for a a creative fantasy game where you're flinging lightning bolts and squirrels at each other. (laughs) Like it's just one of these things that it's like, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's the, uh, it's like the burnt piece under the pizza kind of a thing. It's hard to, hard, hard to put that in in words, but it's something that's, unregulated blessing curse what do you think magic is in the grand scheme still so small from a dollar perspective like from a transaction like how much money flows through magic i mean it's it's not small as you know when you think about it it's billions of dollars go through magic however the grand scheme of like investment vehicles it's a pretty small piece so regulating to me like I just, first of all, I don't see that ever happening to a very serious extent. That being said, there are all sorts of tax laws around collectibles and stuff that people, frankly, should be aware of. Like, you know, if you're if you're amassing a big collection, you go and you sell that thing. Uncle Sam's coming for your for, for some for some income tax on you, and 
Um, I'm not sure that a lot of the community, most of the community probably doesn't even realize that because most people, you know, they, they amass collections just, just cause it's a hobby, right? Magic is, everybody's got to remember magic is a hobby first for probably 97 or 98% of the people who are involved in the, in the magic community. Um, so yeah, I mean the fact that it's unregulated, it's probably a blessing, realistically. I mean, it, but at the same, you know, it allows it allows magic to just do what it does. It's hard to imagine if it was regulated all the possible impacts. I, so therefore, I'm going to default to it just being a blessing because I don't even want to imagine the other scenario. Which if it was regulated, like what would that mean? I, I don't even know what it. There's so much that it would in, uh, impact. I think it becomes illegal for anyone under 18 to play. That would be crazy if that ever happened. That, I don't know if you know this, but when Magic first came out, it had anti, and mm-hmm. the concept of anti was directly associated with gambling. And um, it was fun. We we interviewed Anson Maddox, who's one of the original twenty five artists in Magic history, and he was telling us some stories about how anti uh, basically got Watsy in some trouble early on because it was. It was deemed gambling you know people yeah. would go to card card shops or even just play you know p- what was really happening is gambling poker was getting really hot right around the same time magic came out and and i can speak to this firsthand because i had a family member who was involved or well i say it involved like a negative way or like a criminal way but he was really into gambling like playing poker like he'd have his buddies come over and play poker and they played for money and they shifted and started playing for magic cards over time as well oh, wow. um Using anti, using like using the real rules of what like the original uh, alpha beta, um, probably the four horsemen sets essentially all had anti cards. And yeah, he 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 told me it was like he kind of got addicted to gambling because of magic, not not because of poker, but because of magic, because of the thrill of like every every. I don't know if you guys know how anti works. The way it would work is you shuffle up your deck and then. Everybody would literally just take a card off the top of their deck, and that would become their ante. Like it was possible that you'd be playing for like a Black Lotus, right, or like a Time Twister, some of the Power Nine that have you know the iconic cards. And and he told me per- firsthand that you know he kind of got addicted to the 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 rush of of winning these cards from other people, right? And it, so anyway, it's it's really a fascinating thing to look back on. But to your point about eighteen and over, and like gambling and stuff like there is elements to it where it was that that's what the game was founded on i mean that was a part of the original foundation of 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 richard garfield's art game so i definitely know that there's like a fine line uh when it comes to like gambling laws and what i feel watsy has to deal along with like uh, baseball cards because baseball cards also got under some heat and stuff for the, yes. the gambling aspect of it as well. And I know for a fact that, that is a whole nother podcast in itself. We're really good <laughs> at making a bunch of different podcasts here at This Week in MTG. So uh, <laughs> with that, Chris, I'll make sure to really pull you back in for another episode because I can fucking talk because we, we, we still have some other <laughs> questions here. Uh, yeah, no, that would be fun. Those are fun topics to cover. We could definitely do a deeper dive. So how do you keep on top of card trends and stuff? Like you you watch you watch the the spoilers as they come out and then you're just like the knowledge of cards in your head that go back to where it's like, "Oh, this enchantment is now going to go very well with Goshinta." Uh you made a call back uh back in uh what was it December when they started when they first announced that there was going to yeah. be enchantment creatures. You made an enchantment card. Oh god, what was it again? Paradox Haze, I think. There we go. And that one was like now now it's moving up. And stuff it is it's, it's and so, almost doubled yeah 
So what do you do to like keep on top of like card trends? It's just like, do you have like a, a Rolodex in your head that's just like constantly going? It, it, it really, it honestly, it really is just a roll. It's, I don't know if it's just sort of like a random, you know, how like everybody has like a, the joke of like, what's your superhero power, right? Like mine just is this random stupid Rolodex of every magic card print. <laughs> um, I, I just have a knack you know, I've been, like I said, I've been playing the game. I started playing it about four or five years after it came out. So aside from like the earliest days of magic, I know just about every, I've seen just about every magic card mm-hmm. in some capacity, whether it's just by way of selling cards or playing. Um, so I have, I do, I really do. Rolodex is, you know, it, I, it's really not a joke. I have a very comprehensive memory of magic cards. And there's a lot of times where like, I'll see a card get spoiled and I can't remember like the paradox haze. Like, obviously I can remember it cause I called it. So like, I remember it now, but like in that moment before I put the tweet out, I was like, crap, what's that one blue enchantment? Like it does this cool thing where it like gives you another upkeep. Like I know it's a thing and I go to scryfall and, and you know, I could search it and I find it. It's very common where I can like tell you that a card exists, but I don't remember the name of it. So I have to go search it up. That's pretty much it, though. I mean, I've been playing Magic so long that I I have a really good knack for identifying those synergies just by virtue of knowing so many cards in the in the playbook, so to speak. Um, and I also just I've been writing finance content for a long time. Um, I've refined my not not just my like knack for knowing synergies, but I've refined my kind of like beta side of this. So I I can't really share a whole lot because I like mm-hmm. to keep some of it. It's kind of pro- like proprietary thing for my business it's how it helps right, me right. yeah keep like basically always kind of keep ahead of the curve but the gist of it is that i've continued to refine you know anal uh, i i do some analytic analytic type stuff where i look at supply and demand and i can i can see trends playing out kind of before they happen is the best way to say it um, and it's just a combination of the fact that i love data i love i love data analytics just kind of as a nerdy like you know i do it for my job too so it's it's just something i enjoy and the combination of that plus a rolodex in my head is just a very powerful tool like it's it's just how it comes to be so unstoppable and stuff so how excited do you get like uh when it comes to like sets coming out and it's just like okay time to flex this muscle again let's do this what's going to be the 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 cards to be looking out for what are going to be the cards to be trying to like not look out for like yeah. the, the, the hype for uh, new sets and stuff. I think spoiler season is my absolute favorite part of magic right now. Um, and it's largely because of it, it, because of what you were just saying, like my content is really heavily focused on helping people identify things right away. Right. Like I love, I, I've actually gotten, I don't want to say yelled at, but like kind of scolded because I take the fun out of, people finding synergies sometimes, which I feel bad. I like, it was a really good piece of feedback I got one time. I was like, damn, that's like actually true. So I've actually kind of cut back what I post on Twitter. Like I'll still post really actionable stuff. Uh, Paradox Hayes being a good example of that, like that card's doubled. And I wanted people to realize, Hey, you should definitely have this card in your, your pocket because if five color shrines becomes a thing, which it did, it was total speculation, but you should have this. I've I've developed a patron, uh, a a, you know Patreon content chain for a buck a month, which allows me to kind of paywall the calls so that it doesn't ruin it for people who don't want to know, they want to find it themselves, right? So it kind of gives you the option if you want to you know 
support me, it's a dollar a month, and I basically will give you anywhere from like, you know, four to a dozen calls, and I guarantee it'll pay for the dollar. Like, I, there's uh, my my finance speculation is almost always going to find card that's going to go up more than a dollar in a month. So, anyway, yeah, sorry, I'm kind of digressing there, but like the point is, I, I definitely try to avoid spoiling it for other people, but I love spoiler season. So another kind of a season that people in Magic like is when we come around to like the ban and restricted announcement season and stuff. And we just had a ban and restricted for uh, for uh, Modern and Pioneer, and then we had unbannings and Popper. When it comes to uh, bannings on bannings, like how as a Magic financer do you address that kind of a thing? Like, are you looking for now? It's like this card is gone. These cards are going to rise, or this card is gone, and stop worrying about those cards, kind of a thing. Or yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's definitely right. I um I, ban and unban announcements. So like, Commander is my favorite format, both to play and to like speculate on. You know, if you follow my content. 99% I would say of my content is dedicated to commander synergy. So the ban and unban in commander is kind of less relevant. Like there's not, there's, you know, maybe like once a year at most, we get like a ban or unban announcement that's somehow relevant. World fire being the example, it got unbanned recently and the card shot up like, you know, from like a dollar to $10 or whatever. Uh, in those scenarios, it's all just like, it's just how fast are you to get to the shopping cart on TCG player and pick up a copy, right? Like that's, and so like, of course I'll put an alert out and say, Hey, this got unbanned. You should grab a copy if you can, when it comes to other formats. So like the announcement just went out, I've started dabbling more in pioneer. And I know you guys had Jay on not too long ago. Yep. Um, Jay is my, you know, he and I are also co-hosts together. So he and I have kind of started to establish like a second, a line of content for our conviction gaming brand which is dedicated to pioneer so jesus and i cover uh, commander and now jay and i have started covering pioneer in formats like pioneer or modern or standard or pauper where a ban and an unban either one has such a significant impact on the meta what you said is exactly right right like i love just kind of following the meta and like kind of hypothesizing okay luris is gone so like that's going to open up these strategies to kind of take off because they had bad matchups against Luris previously, right? Like that's fun, fun stuff to just talk through. I will admit I hardly ever, in fact, I, gosh, I don't know. The last time I speculated on modern was probably 2015. Okay. So I, yeah, I, I almost exclusively speculate on commander because it's, it's such a slam dunk format. It's hard to like, it's hard to miss calls with commander because cards just are always going up because of the format uh covid of course then also has played a role in that like there's been yeah there's been no paper formats or uh, paper gatherings for like two years right so like it's that's the other reason for that just to just to clarify um if i ever was going to speculate on those formats i actually think i would go to mtgo because there's a lot of interesting content about how like the ticket prices on mtgo fluctuate based on what we're talking about based on bans and unbans uh, just as an example season pyromancer is like it's just shoo, <laughs> shooting up it's it was like 14 tickets and it's like 50 tickets now or something crazy and by the way i don't i don't do any mtgo speculation i just happen to follow some content creators that do but um you can see some really cool trends from mtgo and sometimes i think those 
probably play across paper as well. Season Pyromancer is going to be a, a, a hot card in modern moving forward because Allura's being gone. For sure. For sure, totally. We were, uh, So we're talking some more uh, Commander Bands here. The philosophy of Commander Bands, that was another big thing that was brought up in the Commander Band announcement from the RC and where they were talking about how their demographic uh, is is this uh, the casual players who have a solid friend group and stuff? And it's like announcements and stuff like that. Are those other other things that like you keep an eye on that you see are making changes on how cards move up in price? So I guess in my head something like that, where it's like, oh, more casual cards are gonna probably be good here. So it's like uh, all the the ultimatums and stuff like those are good example in my head ahead of like casual fun cards uh battleship battle cruiser and stuff like how does that work w- with with the finance side like casually to yeah. non-casually uh it's a great question so um what i've what i've learned in the last two years um exactly two years february 2020 right before covid started i i made a call in our conviction gaming discord at reserve list, not not all. I I couldn't imagine what was about to happen, but that certain reserve list cards like Mox Diamond, Lion's Eye, Gilded Drake, uh, Gaia's Cradle, Wheel of Fortune, and Grim Monolith. Those are like the eight. I think that was eight that I just listed off. Those are like the mm-hmm. the main the main CEDH playables, right? Like plus then dual lands, of course. Yeah. I made a call in February 2020 saying that CEDH is picking up steam, and it was at the time. CEDH was starting to like dominate search search engine results, um, Twitter content. Like all of a sudden, it was like you couldn't open Twitter or go to like Reddit or whatever without seeing a post related to CEDH in some capacity. And so I'm kind of giving, by the way, a little bit of like the the behind the scenes look at like how I analyze data and stuff here. So I'm, I'm sharing some. I'm okay doing this. I'm sharing some secrets, but. It's not all about just looking at supply and demand. If you notice trends as they're happening in real time, to your point about like the the RC and their their communication on like bands and appealing to casual formats, that plays out. That's a trend that now should play out over the next however many years until maybe that stance changes. So what that means is that we should realistically, I think we're not going to see a lot of bands in commander moving forward unless something is extremely oppressive. Right, like that. It's it's not. It's gonna be very hard for them to justify a ban using that premise that they share that you were just describing, because they're going to cater to casuals, not to higher powered tables. I think. Right. Um, I think back to when Flash was banned, by the way, and that was the thing I was talking about. February twenty twenty. I mentioned all those reserve list cards. They all shot up about two months later, and coincidentally, Flash got banned right in that same time frame. I think it was right before I made the call because I'm pretty sure that was why I it was the combination of seeing CDH commentary all over the place plus Flash getting banned. I was like, okay, CDH is going to like kind of catch on and like heat up here because of this. These reserve list cards are going to be great pickups, right? The reserve list to begin with, so they're going to go up over time, but these things are going to be really in demand right now because CDH is going to start being a thing that people want to play more of and it turned out i ended up being right like i you know it was totally a speculative guess and it ended up playing out uh where cedh really took off and then those cards 
know, shot up a ton and they, they kept going because of COVID and a whole bunch of other reasons. The initial catalyst was CEDH. Um, oh, anyway, I, I kind of digress from your question, but the, I guess, you know, just to summarize there, it's like, if you're paying attention to trends, whether it's RC commentary or content creation trends in the, in the Twitter sphere of magic and stuff, you can kind of get ahead sometimes of what stuff is going to be, what cards are going to be in demand uh, in, you know, in coming months or years even. Okay. So that, 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 that's a good way to like end that section there, I think, cause we got a couple more, a little more fun questions for you in our Quicksilver questions area here. It's kind of like Love loosen it. up here from the Love intensity it. that, that is that. So rapid fire as fast as we can here. Pineapple on pizza. Yay or nay? Nay. What is the largest animal that you think you could take on in a fight? Like you were in the woods you just like both showed up right there. Nothing like, I mean, nothing, no weapons. Biggest animal you think you could take on in a fight? A fox. <laughs> Pretty small. Fair answer. Not not messing around. <laughs> do you pay the one? I do pay the one. Magic as an NFT. Quick summary. Don't do it. Whatever <laughs> you do, don't do it. Okay. Uh, and I know this is a question for me. Uh, th- that's what we got for the Quicksilver questions. But you were talking about like Craigslist. Can you give us a, like a little history of magic and Craigslist back in the day? Because uh, I'm pretty sure none of us have done Craigslist magic buying and stuff. Jokes on you. Oh, you have? Yeah. I have. And Facebook Marketplace too is another good one for a little while. It's kind of died down as of like the last two years. But I know, well, you were present for when I got one of those things I bought off. Was that off Craigslist? That was a Facebook Marketplace oh, okay. one. Okay, I was about to say I didn't think that was a Craigslist yep. one. Ended up having getting a lot of the. Um, I suppose this is more for Chris. Uh, those hard shell Dragon Shield binders, like oh, the nice. box binders, but then had like dude had all the set organized and everything. Like everything was organized by set. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I probably at least got my. I think it was like two hundred bucks I spent on this. Just in those cases alone, like I looked them up and I was like, holy shit, I just didn't even look at the cards yet. But then Battle Bond had, I had all of the, all of the lands I needed out of that and then ended up getting my first doubling season out of it too. So there we go. So, you know, you, I don't, you, I don't even need to answer the question. That's, that's the summary right there. There's some really good things to be had on, on Craigslist and Facebook marketplace. That's an awesome story. Well, and then we joke around too. We've got a buddy, uh, Mason, that lives here in town. And one day he shot me a message. He's like, hey, man. Uh, so the relationship was like friend of his now fiance's best friend's brother or something. Like it was way <laughs> down the line. Uh, you know, he plays magic. and He's got this. He's got a whole lot of cards. I was like, okay, what's your question? 400 bucks you in he's like well how, how many cards are we talking here like what information you got and like he got as little information as humanly possible and i was like sure you know what i'll do this with you this one time and we'll see how it goes <laughs> and we get like five or six of like the big old five thousand card boxes all bulk commons and uncommons. Wow. Oh, brutal. Okay. So we sat there tediously going through going, okay, I know this one's worth something. This like two bucks, two bucks, two bucks, two bucks, two bucks. <laughs> Barely got our money back. Oof-da. And then we took the rest. We're like, you know what? 
uh, because this was the time that our LGSs weren't really buying bulk. And we're like, fuck it. Let's go to the pawn shop. Here you go. We don't want them. We'll give you 20 bucks. Done. It's, it's out of our hands now. So I think we made, we made 10 bucks a piece on that one. So there are definitely some hit or misses on those. But I, Chris, I suppose you, I only got in probably the tail end of it. Maybe you got a little bit more of the upfront side of the Craigslist buy-in of collections. So how did that work out for you? Yeah, so in when I was doing it, it, like I said, it was like maybe 2007, 2008, I was in college and it was, magic cards were like not, they just weren't mainstream like they are today. I don't know how else to say it. There wasn't things like MTG stocks and Twitter and like a whole community built around this that is social media, you know, Reddit didn't exist either, right? So word of mouth on magic card prices was lot harder to come by you kind of just went off of three things card kingdom uh ebay and i'm blanking D- uh david adams card world i think was the third or maybe it was troll and toad I, th- I think it was actually troll and toad which is still around by the way um those were like the three sites that had edge of cards consistently available that you could buy and the way that you could just kind of track prices was through that the best source of data was ebay auctions because those would give you a real-time kind of understanding of what people were willing to pay for whatever card was up for auction. So when I started doing this, I was realizing that if you bought lots of cards, uh, like not like a lot of cards, but like hundreds of cards at a time, you could get great deals. Okay, so like your example that you just described, like the four hundred dollar example, there were a lot of cases where you would just okay, like buy it now. 400 bucks on eBay, had no information about it whatsoever. Same thing as you're talking about, but it was before people knew how to pick bulk and stuff. So you'd get a box, right? And you'd pay 400 bucks, you get a box, you'd start going through it and you'd find like a, like a power nine in it, like a mock Sapphire yeah. one time. I found, I literally found a mock Sapphire unlimited, unbelievable condition, probably, you know, one of those ones that you just kick yourself all these years later. Like, why didn't I keep that card? What was I thinking? Um, even back then, like Mock Sapphire paid for the whole box by itself. And um, and that was just a common thing. It was it was really common to find on Craigslist, eBay, even garage sales. I mentioned garage sales. If you paid attention to newspaper listings for garage sales, almost every week you could find one garage sale that would have a mention of collectibles. Like, oh, what's collectibles mean? So you'd go check it out. And of course, some of them were just busts, like they'd be antiques or whatever. But sometimes you'd show up and it'd be like a ton of Michael Jordan cards and like a whole binder of magic cards. And it'd be like, hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks for all these. They might, they might even, I remember one time I went and they didn't even have a price on it. I asked them how much they wanted. They're like, oh, 20 bucks. And I was like, I'm not comfortable giving you $20 because this is like way, it's worth way more than that. And I gave them like $400 and it was still probably like a five, six, probably like four or $500 profit after that. So holy balls. Um, yeah. So I, by the way, like I, I just as a quick aside, if you ever go out and try to rip somebody off and I ever hear about it, like you're dead to me. Like I hate people that are part of my strong language, but I really hate when people take advantage of other people in this community. It's just not right. So please don't do that. Um, give people the, the, the right value for their cards. Don't, don't rip them off in trades or, or, purchases so anyway sorry i had yeah, to get man. that plug in no that's <laughs> a that's a real thing though i know when i started playing like very early on so back when commander was still edh and modern didn't exist 
at this point yet. I think I'm pretty sure I got swindled on some trades every now and then. But I know like now too with the those big collections I would buy, like I'll talk to the people and be like, Hey, do you have any idea what's in this? No, no, uh, you know, bought it in a a storage locker sale or whatever. So I I just know that, you know, they can be worth money and I was like, Okay, here's the thing. I don't know anything about what's in it. Um, I only have X number of hours, whatever that I could look through something and give you a fair price, or we can both go in this blind and go, here's what I'm willing to offer based off of the information you have. And like a lot of the times people will go, you know what? I don't want to waste the time you looking through stuff either because I'd rather just get it out. So uh, what would you pay for it? And I'll go, you know, hypothetically, I think this one was a smaller one that guy literally got out of a storage locker, like bidding war thing. And I was like, oh, well, what did you say about roughly how many cards? He's like, I have 500. I was like, 75 bucks sound about good for you because he had an idea of like, he'd look at the bottom of the cards for me and go, well, some of them are saying up to 2010, whatever on the bottom. I'm like, okay, so like I could game play roughly what sets were in there. And I think that particular one, like I had, return to Ravnica stuff. So I got some shock lands, which was really cool, but I think I barely made my money on that one. But it's one of those things where you just got to be honest with people. It's like, I can take the time, go through it, give you that fair price, or we can do this too, where it's, you know, if you don't know what it, what's in it and you're just looking to get rid of it, I'm not going to go, I'll give you two bucks. You know, here's the thing. And sometimes it works out nice where, you know, it's, Hey, you get a little bit of benefit from it, but then there's other times too where that four hundred dollar collection was just like, yeah, man, we shouldn't have done that. One of the things that I do when I buy people's collections in that scenario is I will actually, um, especially if they the the main like the most common thing that happens is they'll have like a big list of stuff that they've tracked. Like it's you know it's all their five to twenty dollar type cards and stuff that they value, but then they'll have a huge box of bulk, right? And almost every time, what happens is they'll be like, "Hey, I also have this ten thousand row box, and I don't want it. Just take it." And I will always go through those and kind of piece them out and then pay them accordingly. So like if Basically, like if that ten grand or uh, sorry, that ten thousand card box has five hundred dollars worth, I'm going to pay you probably two fifty and give you fifty percent of the cut as a way of saying like thanks for thanks for giving me the additional cards to sell. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's actually a pretty generous example. Fifty. I don't know that I would do fifty percent actually, but even thirty percent, right? Like I'm going to give you something to to say thanks. Like I'm not just going to take them for free. Yeah. So. Uh, a little collection story from from my side here. One time, I bought a collection from uh, a person from Facebook, and uh, it was a bunch of older cards like Dark Steel, Fifth uh, Fifth Fifth Dawn, and this is like shortly more getting involved in in what magic is and stuff. And so I didn't know the whole width of like what are necessarily in those sets. The guy had like the rares set off to the side, and I bought the cards like from the rares alone it was like yeah that's like a hundred dollars and so he was asking for like 150 and i'm like i'm pretty sure off the extra cards that are in here i could probably make that 50 bucks and this was 2015 2014 when i did this 
And little did I know that was in there was like a stack of aether vials in the common oh section. Jesus. And there's also uh, Mishra's Bobbles, which weren't as much then, but they have moved up now. And I finally have uh, passed those along and stuff. But I'm like, there, there was things like that. It's like the guy was asking 150. He had all of his rares and stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah, there's about $100 in rares here. Can easily make the rest and stuff like that. Did not realize that uh, at the time that Aether Vial was a thing that you could find in common or the common yeah. common section and stuff there. That is a great story because that's a, that was a super common scenario. That's what I was just referencing where, you know, like somebody would have all their rares and mythics in a binder and they'd be like, here's a 10,000 row of commons and uncommons. And you start going through and it's like, here's a stack of 40 lightning bolts and each one of those is worth two bucks, right? It's like 80, it's like $80 worth of lightning bolts just sitting in there. Um, Aether Vial is a really expensive example of that, right? It's like a $30 card or something. So, um, yeah, that's that's a that was a very common thing. Commons and uncommons nowadays don't quite pop off like that. I mean, there's still some, you know, occasionally that do like Pitiless Plunder a couple of years ago is, yeah. is like a $15 card, I think. It's a great but, example, yeah. Um, but yeah, like bulk, bulk that is probably about the time you just said, like 2014 and older, there's, there's some really you know, gem stuff to be found in there. I remember one time buying a, a, a lot and it wasn't a big lot. Um, it was, but it was actually primarily all commons and uncommons with only about eight rares or mythics or something. And it was like conflux. Uh, but they like, it had like this small stack at the very end of cards from Tempest. And there was like 15 pristine pack fresh near mint Lotus petals in there. And like, they gave me this lot for like 30 bucks. Right. And I said, and I like called them back a week later after i sorted it i was like hey i have like 15 ten dollar commons in your box here like i you gave me i gave you 30 bucks like there's 150 dollars in just these cards alone like i'm gonna come back and send uh hand you a couple more dollars because this is more than like way more valuable than i think you and i both realized when you gave this to me so yeah magic definitely has that ability to where yeah the, the the typical like common uncommon it's like oh if it's common or uncommon it's like that's it's not a good card people aren't gonna want it but little do some people know that some of those cards were legit busted back in the day <laughs> yeah exactly tempest was one of the blocks early so like early in magic there was no rarity symbols like tempest and mirage and stuff they all just were black uh symbols so you didn't know you couldn't just look at the card and know that it was a common or an uncommon or a rare you had to Google it and or, heck, I mean, Google was like barely even a thing. You have to go out go on the gatherer and look it up and see if it was a rare or not. God damn. God damn indeed. That, that's something to be uh, that some people take for granted, I guess, nowadays of how how easy you can find this information and stuff now compared to back then. I can't even imagine because, uh, yeah, I, I started playing in like 2012, 2011, but I didn't start really getting into it around that 2014 time and stuff and um the 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 technology the the tools that we have at our hand to be able to to look at cards of value cards or just like know where cards come from to find out oh this lotus petal is labeled a common but it does things yep yeah it's definitely changed a lot it's the information flow is like you know just so much more fluid than it was 10 years ago when i started doing this it was actually 15 years ago geez god that's 
<laughs> it's crazy to think about. How is that possible? Anyway. You're such a young pup. Uh, I'm not. I'm about to be 35, so. Oh, I, you're I, not I, much I, older yeah. than us. Yeah. No, you're all good, man. Don't be don't be like saying that you're old, Ben. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, guys, and I'm telling you. like I, I have an 11-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh. So. All right. Well, then I can't <laughs> say anything. Never mind. <laughs> I was about to say, Chris, I'm in about the same boat as you. I got a fresh two-year-old and a new one coming in June, so. Congratulations! Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot. To having two, they're bo- both boys, two years apart in diapers is more than I bargained for. I'll just say that. <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, I got I got a ten year old right now and stuff. And going back to the diaper age, it's it's not fun. Yeah, we're yeah, we're fun, for, we're we're firmly in potty training on one side, and then firm, <laughs> firmly like you know one year old, no concept of danger on the other side. So it's it's it makes every day interesting though live life to your fullest (laughs) absolutely get every minute out of it well chris i feel like we can we can uh definitely talk for hours and hours and uh hopefully i can use that to get you back on to talk for more hours and hours at least and for sure but uh please give us your social medias all of your plugs where people can find you and 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 that whole shebang yeah so my twitter is at shy style gaming chi um uh for for shy style um and then the main our hub for all of our content is just convictiongaming.com so if you go to that website you can find everything our patreon that's where all of our articles are posted our our podcast is posted there we're on all the major podcast apps as well so it just the rss feed syncs from our website um and that's it i I just i really appreciate you guys having me on it's been a lot of fun talking and definitely do it again at least one more time to we've, we've probably got six six or seven different topics so maybe it's gonna be a few more times <laughs> oh yeah no no th- th- that's how that's like that's a thing of how we we work here it's like we start talking one thing it's like oh i gotta put a pin in that or we start like other podcasts like one of the running gags is we have a we have a podcast called this week in time zones that we have yet to start and stuff that's like that just awesome. we tangent so much here and that's one of the things that that makes us us oh yeah so, we, your digression, your tangents, that fits in a hundred percent. That's that's just the norm MTG. for us. <laughs> Felt at home. You start talking. You start talking about like MTG finance, and you end up talking about diapers. Like it just, it's just, just another no. night of the podcast. Yep. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much. And seriously, everybody listening to this episode, you should follow him. If you're following us on Twitter, he is the Twitter follower, your Twitter person to be following before us. I would say so. Go check him out, Chris. Thank you. And hopefully we'll get something set up uh, again. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Congratulations. You made it to the end of this week's episode of This Week in MTG. Your listenership means so much to us. Make sure to follow the podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or on the podcatcher of your choice. You can watch the live stream recording of the podcast every Monday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time over on YouTube and twitch.com slash thisweekinmtg. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can send us a message to our Facebook, Twitter, or send us an email at thisweekinmtg at gmail.com. For all these links and more, check out our link tree at linktr.ee slash thisweekinmtg. Thanks so much. And stuff, it's like, ah, oh, go. Okay.